0: What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, man. I got a guy next to me who has been on the show before, as I told you guys last episode, a guy I really, really respect in this space, and I couldn't think of a better guest to get to preview the North Carolina a Aggies. My guy Jamie Walker was on the HBCU roundtable a while back. This guy does it all, man. Contributor for the Black College Sports Network, play-by-play, play-by-play social media guy who was all over hbcu twitter man jamie i know you got a very 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 busy schedule right now as the season approaches so i just appreciate you giving me some of your time and coming on the show
1: blue absolutely i appreciate you having me
0: absolutely but we got to get into a man i thought this was a team i i picked a few teams that i thought deserved solo previews and this is one of them because there's a lot of Question marks, a lot of hype around this team. But let's get to last year, man. The AT a- a- is not used to having the season they had last year. Let's just be honest. A losing record is not historically what Aggie fans want to see. So for you, looking at the team last year, what was missing for North Carolina a T for you? And what did you see happening that led the season to go down the path that it did?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, I think for the fan base and for, um, just Aggie Nation in general, uh, and, and then you know people just followers of the team. I think coming off of, of a canceled season in the COVID year, um, and then getting kind of getting back into the flow of things, I think that really hampered the team. But along with that, if you just look at the the, the football team itself, um, changing conferences, uh, going from the MIAC um, to the Big South, you know, I'm a firm believer in uh, in having to recruit and get the players for the conference that you're in. Uh, and, and so going somewhere new, uh, it's not necessarily the norm. They just go in there and dominate it from the rip. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it was unfair or unfair by, by some people to, um, to get to just get down on this team because they're changing conferences. You have to consider everything uh, that was factored in, but I, I guess that's the norm when you've been successful for so long and, and you, you know, you you've set a standard and people expect you to maintain that standard regardless of what goes on.
0: And I, I think another thing I talked about this on one of the live streams I've had, I was I got to Big South Media Day really early as I was traveling and I was sitting in a room with a lot of the players before the media was there. And they were just kind of chopping it up, talking. Jacob Roberts was in there and a few other a t guys and they talked about. Something that I don't think a lot of schools had to deal with. Usually when a school comes into a conference, they're looked down upon. I don't think Bryant has a big target coming into the Big South this year. I don't think Monmouth has a big target on them coming going into the CAA, etc. But ANT t had a giant target in the Big South year one because of their success. The same way I think of you can look at a Kennesaw State has a giant target going to the ASUN this year because they have a history of winning. Like one of the defensive players from one of the schools, I don't want to put their name out there but he was talking about how what Jermaine Martin said about I'm going to get 2,000 yards rushing really rubbed a lot of defensive guys the wrong way across the conference where they said okay you think you're gonna come into our conference and put up 2,000 on us they were like that's not happening so every game there was a little bit of added motivation to say this new team who they are going to come in here and beat us and that we aren't to the standard that they're used to playing. We're going to have to show them. And I think Jacob Roberts even talked about the physicality in the trenches really is what's kind of separated – you know, the previous you know tenure in the MIAC to the big south, which I don't think there's a huge gap in in terms of talent between the conferences, but he just said it was a a change of pace. And I think ANT playing with the target year one is something that I don't think they were ready for. And I don't think a lot of fans really realize that those teams and those teams in the big south were really, really gunning for A&T and looking at them as someone that they were going to have to prove wrong.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I, I think Especially when you consider the the success of A and T uh, beating, you know, um, out of conference, you know, their out of conference schedule was always pretty good, and they would beat some of those teams. They had beaten the Charleston Southern's, the Kent States, um, the East Carolinas. So, you know, the Big South is is still of the same region, and so yeah. they've noticed that too, and, and so. You know, coming in with with the brashness uh, of an A and T, and I can speak to that. You know, that Aggie arrogance to a degree, but it but it's you know it's it's you know it's merited when it comes to the success. But you can't come into um, a conference like the Big South, uh, you know, bragging and not expect them to punch back. Uh, but we'll see what happens this year, as you know, year two in this conference, last year in this conference, and and I think. Uh, you'll see some different things this year because I think they, they know the expectations. You get a full spring. um, You're not coming off COVID. And I think, you know, the, you know, the everything's off, you know, the handcuffs off here, let's go, let's go play ball.
0: And one thing I wanted to ask you about before we move on to the quarterback position is one of the position groups that Sam Washington was very, very vocal when I spoke to him at Big South Media Day was the secondary. He he pretty much went as far to say that that was their biggest weakness as, in terms of a team and that they could not stop good passing teams from moving the football through the air. For you, did you kind of get that same did you have that same feeling about the defense is that the secondary really just didn't have the guys to go out there and play. And this offseason, do you feel like AT's reloaded that secondary going into 2022?
1: Absolutely. I think um both in scheme and in in personnel. They had a lot of injured personnel last year uh that affected the passing game. I think also when you're talking about conference foes um, the passing games itself was a little bit different. The MEAC style of play um, was not that high wire act that you saw. It was, you know, balanced attacks. Uh, if you just go down the line with the South Carolina states, the Morgan states, you know, it's, it, it's you know, ground and pound. So I think the secondary for AT this year uh, will be much better. You got Karan Pronti that's coming back, um, Amir McNeil. You have a couple other um um, you know, Star Wars that will go out there and definitely be part of that. But along with that, a new secondary coach in Jason McCronos. Um, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. But, yeah. you know, he's hit the ground running as far as his recruiting and just the standard that he's setting. You see him all over social media. And really, I think he gives a breath of fresh air. That's not all with the, with the you know, personnel changes defensively. Um, you know, I, I'll talk about it now with one of the strengths in the group. Uh, the defensive line and Keith Willis coming in. Uh, Anybody that knows football knows Keith Willis from back in the day, uh, Pittsburgh Steel and and, and was real close to Sam Washington. Uh, Coach Washington really preached discipline uh, as really one of the major downfalls with the team overall. And I think defensively, you'll see a lot more discipline unit this year, especially in the secondary where they gave up a lot of big plays. You're talking about, a defense who who perennially was in the ten, you know you know in the 10s 15s 20s um dropped uh not horribly but but was not that same standard i think they were in the 30s uh, 39 this year if i'm not mistaken um in defense but that's not the standard that that blue Death defense um has set for so many years so i think the secondary um along with his defensive line the linebackers um should be much improved this year and give nt Really, a leg up going into conference play,
0: and I, I, I think I echo that. And, he, and even Coach Washington was saying that they, he feels like they brought in more depth too, where they could have a rotation, play more guys in that secondary. And I think it, with the exit of Kennesaw, especially, you're going to see a lot more pass heavy. You know, I would say play in that in the Big South Conference because I think outside of Kennesaw, everyone really spread the ball out to the best of their ability, and all had pretty good quarterbacks to do it. Especially a team like Charleston Southern, they can throw the football now. And so I think with Kennesaw's departure, I think that building up that secondary was very important. But the quarterback position is one of every time I talk to a North Carolina Ante fan, media, anything, the development of Jalen Fowler always seems to come up. For you, what did you see from him last year that was promising? And what are some things that you want to see Fowler do better going into 2022?
1: Well, size size, and arm strength um, are are some of the pluses when it comes to Jalen Fowler. You have to understand that that in the last few years, the line of quarterbacks that they did have um, was, was really versatile. You're talking about a few years ago with Lamar Reynard, you know, perennial winner, you know, three, four-year starter, uh, winning celebration bowls and really leading the offense. And then you turn the reins over to Khalil Carter in the last full season. They had, you know, a different kind of quarterback, 5'10", you know, kind of a a, a fullback mode, you know, he, he, he would always get um, the laughs from people, but would come in and be able to run that offense as well, that Chris Barnett offense. And so Jalen Fowler, you know, again, coming off the COVID year, stepping into that spot being brand new, it was new for him. He had to have, you know, growing pains. And so you saw some bright spots um, in his ability to be able to lead the offense, um, you know, be able to run the ball. I think they averaged about 189 yards passing. Uh, the the running game fell off, so it was on his shoulders a little bit more um, than maybe he was accustomed to. So I think, um, again, if he can just go through his progressions, be able to take what a defense gives him and not, you know, not turn the ball over, I think he'll be fine. He's a, you know, he's a quality signal caller. But I tell you what, you have a battle when it comes to that position. I don't think I've ever seen where the potential or where even a coach has spoken about the potential of, Four quarterbacks on on a roster potentially getting time. Uh, you're talking about you know Fowler up there. Um, of course, you know being in the in the catbird seat right now. I think it's his job to lose. But mm-hmm. again, you have you know um, you have a kid that was highly touted last year in Zach Yeager that you know you know out of Minnesota who had some time last year and really showed flashes as well. Uh, who was more than capable of leading this offense. So I think when you you have people pushing them, you have the freshman, Eli Brickambler, who, who you know, during the spring game, absolutely could spin it uh, in his limited time. Of course, true freshman, not really having a lot of experience on the collegiate level. But again, you saw the potential. And then Austin Hooker, if those familiar with the Hooker last name, you know, look no further than the University of Tennessee. And of course, his father being an A&T um you know, star as well, but has the potential as well. He's a red shirt freshman, so you're talking about some young quarterbacks that really see um you know for lack of a better term um a hole being left open for the potential of getting some time if you know someone stumbles. I think you know the rest of the team is is kind of set in motion and really could be successful. all they need is someone to be able to lead this offense.
0: Yeah and I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's something I, I was doing some research for this episode and I think a lot of people including myself overlooked at times last year is when you look at the success of previous quarterbacks at A&T they always seem to have a run game to fall back on especially when you look back at 2019 I mean it was Jermaine Martin I mean really like what he could do on the ground opened up so much for the quarterback spot and I think When you saw the run game emerge, like I think the central game was great because I think you guys rushed for like almost 200 yards that game and it really opened up things for Fowler and that was one of his best games of the year. He went out there and played and you guys – Dominated central in that game. But you saw some other games where the run game couldn't get going like the Kennesaw game, which they had a great defense last year, but the offense never caught its rhythm and it really put a good defense in a lot of bad situations, I think if you want to extend it to that too. But I think as long as an, a running back emerges, the offensive line's there. Let me say this. I love the offensive line for a t coming, well, at least coming into the year. I think Corian Sharp and Tariq Stewart were two of our all big South selections on the offense line for at least our publication and i know they were getting a lot of love in terms of the big south media day poll and everything as well so i think for fowler like you said it's just growing a little bit into the role as long as you don't regress and a run game develops you can trust that offensive line some targets at the wide receiver spot emerge i think replacing a guy like Corey banks is going to be a tough feat as well as long as he has some targets emerge i expect fowler or whoever ends up potentially taking the job i do agree with you it should be fowler's to lose but i think he's still an extremely talented quarterback and i I don't i don't i don't foresee him losing that job but Let's move on here to the schedule, man. You know, I talked about this. I know we talked before the show about I had to go blind and just kind of pick this schedule. And I think before the show, we were kind of breaking it down together. But let's go over it. which games, in your opinion, are going to be some of the toughest tests for North Carolina Ant next season.
1: Well, quite frankly, um, uh, both of uh, the North Carolina Central game, I, I think when you're talking about robberies, anything can happen. Uh, it's not like I, I know, you know, my Aggies have dominated for the last few years, um, you know, just pounding Central. But I think Central has a better team. Uh, they also have North Carolina AT's old defensive coordinator. So, you know, we'll see how that um, that develops for Central, because I think defensively them being able to stop the run is is the key to them winning the game, quite honestly. But I think this year and you kind of alluded to it uh the offensive line for North Carolina AT is right there. Uh, it is, you know, if you look at, at, at uh, a Chris Barnett system, it's predicated upon being able to run the football. And if if central can't stop the run, it'll still be a long day for the Eagles. But but South Carolina State has all the confidence in the world uh as well. And they they, you know, if you looked at that game last year, uh, you know, South Carolina State was leading that game up until Corey Fields got hurt and and so you know, they brought the backup in. He didn't play as well, especially, you know, made them one-dimensional. And so a and you know, did what a and does, and that was run the football and, you know, made some big plays and actually took that game in Orangeburg. Um, the game's in Greensboro this year, and, you know, South Carolina State has, you know, the Celebration Bowl confidence, you know, rolling into, into Truist Stadium, and, and we'll see what happens. But uh, if, if the Aggies don't play well that game, that could be a potential um, – you know, potential stumble as well. Uh, of course, when you're looking at, you know, North Dakota State, you know, the number one team uh, in FCS football, uh, perennial winner. And going to Fargo, no one wins that game. And so yeah. what you're looking at, and, and this is, you know, I speak as a fan and an analyst. What you're looking at is to see how your team performs. Now, not that, you know, a has never sprung upsets before, but you're talking about a system in which they are able to plug and play, they do the same kinds of things at North Dakota State. So when you're talking about the way the Bison actually just, you know, do what they do, uh, it'll be tough. You're talking about a game that was scheduled, you know, a few years ago when, you know, the team was, was, you know, in a different course. And so I wouldn't call it rebuilding for a and but I will say they're not as tightened or, or tightly wounded as those teams of the past. So right now, you are you know, kind of like what Sam Washington said, you know, we'll see what we can do and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So, you know, of course, playing Duke, they've always played them close, but hadn't, you know, sprung the upset. So, you know, that right there is a a tough schedule early. But even within the Big South, um, you know, playing Campbell, anybody that's been on social media and just follows recruiting uh, knows that Campbell is absolutely loaded. They have a lot of talent. Mike Minter has done a phenomenal job in recruiting up there in Bowie's Creek, but you know, they are still really young and I'm not sure if they are ready to ascend to that level. Um, not playing Campbell last year. This will be something new, but I'll tell you what Campbell is, is taking on all comers. Uh, in fact, they might they might be playing more HBCUs than um than people in HBCU conferences. So, you yeah. know, we'll we'll see what happens. And, and then just down, you know, the rest of the schedule, if you look at uh, Charleston Southern, Garner Webb, if you I mean, I think, you know, the rest of the conference foes, um, you know, are capable of beating beating a t Look at what Garner Webb did in just the craziest undisciplined football you will see. Uh, from A and I think that's what Coach Washington got that from. As far as we need to get this um, under control now, uh, losing that game in the last few minutes, but uh, I think you know everyone else is 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 fully you know has you know their their keys and and has their bright points. But I think A and T is fully capable of of, of getting one to everyone else. And I tell you what, no one really has talked about the Norfolk State uh, matchup toward the end of the season, but Norfolk State is coming in. J.J. Davis. Um, and others, if they can, you know, get a signal caller down, I think that offense will be prolific, and they always rush the passer well. So I think, you know, even that game uh, will will go a lot a long way to see what this um, what this squad would be. Right now, I know you, you know, I know the the fans kind of gave you the business when it came to you <laughs> predicting seven and four. I'm gonna say eight and three myself. Um, I, I think they're fully capable of winning the Big South. I don't see any reason why they don't. Um, just based on the improvements they've made um, offensively and defensively, and the, and the people that are coming back, they're they're young in spots, but I think they're fully capable. I think, but those games in particular, I pointed out um, initially, are definitely the toughest. Um, toughest uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I I think I echo everything you just said too. I think a team that a lot of people probably overlooking just because they don't know much about them because their first year in the Big South is Bryant, too, man. They got yeah. they've returned a lot of talent, man. That that seems really good. Their quarterback Zevi stepped in as a true freshman last year unexpectedly due, the, due to injury and was the freshman of the year for the NEC. Their running back room is deep. And their physical on the defense, uh, I believe it's Joe Andreessen at the linebacker spot, is going to be no joke for them. I think the secondary probably can use some work, but that's not a game you could sleepwalk in. But I compared the first four games to ANT as I think that those games are just as hard as what you're looking at with possibly an Alabama A&M where you're looking, and if you don't go out there and play your best football, It's not a stretch to say it's 0-4 if everything doesn't go right. Because, I mean, you have week one central in a rivalry game, neutral site. We'll see. And week one is so crazy. And as you know, as an analyst, hard to predict because we don't know what teams are yet. Week two, you got to go to Fargo and play North Dakota State. Week three, you go to Duke. And then week four, you have South Carolina State, who's the defending Celebration Bowl champion. So, man, there are no games in the first half of the schedule that you could sleepwalk through. And, and then you got the Campbell game later in the season when you mentioned a young team. And even with Norfolk, I think if you're asking a t fans, man, would you like to move the central game to the end of the season so we can develop and play a young Norfolk or Campbell team early? You would do it. To get Norfolk and Campbell late in the season is actually probably going to be tougher and some of the teams that draw them early in the season, because those teams are not going to be as well oiled, gelled. You know, the chemistry won't be as developed. But man, I I I think seven and four is good. I, I said the ceiling's eight and three. I think the floor is six and five. I think the floor would be you know right there. I don't. I just don't see them having a losing record again. And I think somewhere in between eight and three, seven and four is where it is. Like I said. Last night, I think the two losses are probably guaranteed as North Dakota State, Duke, and then we'll kind of see what happens with the Aggie Eagle Classic, South Carolina State. Now, I'm really high on Campbell, but you we talked about the winning the Big South. This is the final year for a in this conference, headed to the CAA, and I've talked about it on my show. I know we've talked about it on Twitter about the pressure. Just how much pressure in your mind as a fan and analyst is on a to win the conference this year?
1: I tell you what, because all the expectations are there, I think there's a lot of pressure. But I, I kind of have to go back on something I said when it comes to um just how much pressure. Because I think going into the colonial uh and and just looking at those amount of teams, I think if everything kind of shapes out right, uh what I mean by that is if they go divisional, I don't see why why they can't be in the thick of things in the southern in the in the south of that. Of that particular, you know, conference, um, if everything shakes out, which which I fully expected to, just with them getting teams, uh, so I think they'll be be competitive. But I think it would say a lot that you won this conference with the expectations um, in the Big South because there is no one that you that you can't beat within um, that conference. It's not this huge juggernaut. Um, you know, you don't have. You know Kennesaw State anymore, and and even last year with with basically, you know, m- you know Murphy's Law happening. You know everything that does you know go bad did uh, last year. You still were competitive. Uh, you still played teams, your tough teams. I say maybe the Monmouth game uh, didn't go um, as well as you wanted to, but even that game you were competitive. And and at Kennesaw State you had no offense to go at all. And you still were competitive in that game, um, in, in the biggest crowd that 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 stadium has ever had. So when you're talking about um, just them being able to compete in the CAA, it would go a long way to boost their confidence. Winning this this you know conference this year and going into the Colonial and seeing what happens uh, to develop going forward. So I think the pressure is still heavy, but I think it would go a long way to show themselves. Um, or to put themselves on good footing by winning the Big South this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only game I can think, you know, the Monmouth game kind of got out of hand late, I would say. But the Hampton game is really the only one I think that you could say A&T got smacked like from the yes. from the jump, got caught just not showing up. And I still think A&T had a better team than Hampton last year on paper. I will say that, but it was just I, like you said, everything that went wrong against Hampton went wrong for AT. And you know, looking at it, so let's say it goes to, according to plan. You guys were voted preseason favorites for the big south. You guys win the big south, get that auto bid to the playoffs. What is the tone around A&T about what are the expectations going into the FCS playoffs? And do you think A&T would put up a bid to try to
1: host a playoff game? Ooh, good question. Um I think they absolutely would um just because of of this being the goal. Uh I, I think when you're talking about and, and this is just speaking um, you know, analyzing the move to both the Big South um, and then subsequently the CAA is that you wanted to get in these playoffs. It wasn't, you know, within your strategic plan, there were some other things that you wanted, you know, to do. But when it comes to just purely a football standpoint, you wanted to make deep runs in the playoffs and get in there and compete for championships. And so, yeah, I think they would um, absolutely, you know, you know, try to host the game, which would be phenomenal um, you know, for for what they, you know, have done and the and kind of the flack they have taken from me, you know, me especially, just because, you know, I, I grew up within those confines being in the MiAC conference and I still respect that conference very heavily, but I understood the move um and understand what they're trying to do. So yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, making a run to try to host a game would be would be phenomenal for uh East Greensboro.
0: And b- before we move on to talking about some players to watch, what would a win mean in the playoffs? Like what would a first or potentially a second round win mean for the program and, and the fan base surrounding North Carolina a and And just we can expand it to HBCU football as a whole because we understand the perception, you know, in FCS circles about HBCUs in the playoffs. What would a win for a and really do for that narrative and the perception around the program?
1: It would be huge. Uh, because I think it would solidify the move being made um, in certain senses. I think it would also give another angle of what HBCU football can be, Uh, not necessarily just having to be in HBCU conferences, although I support, fully support HBCU conferences. I think, um, you know, dual domination in in certain senses is a good thing, Um, but – uh, it would it would spell huge. And I think, um, you know, for some, this might not be good, but uh, I think you would have athletes wanting to go and try to win uh, FCS championships uh, and finding out that they can do it from an HBCU. And so I think that would spell huge. Uh, I think, you know, of course, you had Florida A&M from the SWAC uh, go to the playoffs last year. Uh, and I think, you know, you know, they didn't put that, you know, I, I would I know they would say they didn't, you know, have their best effort against Southeast Louisiana. But, you know, I think that was a feeling of of wanting or saying you're in the dance. Uh, we want to compete. And so I think athletes want to compete. And if that is the level that you're playing everyone and you feel you want to go after the big prize, then, you know, A&T winning a couple of uh, playoff games would, would spell huge to say we can compete amongst everyone.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's a stretch to say. I think we had, what, the FAMU tight end came out on Twitter and he caused a whole stir talking about he would rather play. And, I mean, I think we both agree. We and you have talked about it. If you're a school and you're a business and financially, playoffs don't make sense if you have an opportunity to go play for the Celebration Bowl. But if you're an athlete, it's hard to tell an athlete to think of it financially because he's not getting that money. And so for him – and those kids, they want to go win a national championship, and so there's a there's I think there's a distinction to be made that people are expecting eighteen to twenty three year old kids to think way outside the box. They're like, oh man, I get it. Y'all y'all get a check that I don't see, and so right. never mind. I don't want to I don't want to do it. But let's get to some players to watch. I, I think we can both agree. We we should probably start with the linebacker there, Jacob Roberts, one of the best linebackers. In the country, in my opinion, in the FCS, so you could speak on him a little bit, but who are some other players outside of Jacob Roberts that we should watch for the Aggies in 2022?
1: You know what? I, I kind of went, you know, um, very, very young when it comes. I mean, you could speak to that entire really uh linebacker core. You're talking about Joseph Stuckey along with you know Tyquan King as well, but I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna start off in the offense. Uh, the running back core, you know, you had Mr. Tootin this year who really. Stepped in and was huge uh, with, with Jermaine Martin being injured a lot of the year uh, and, and really proved himself. And I think he'll get the starting nod. But behind him, you got two other backs um, that that toted the mail last year as well. Uh, Charlie Dixon, uh, 6'2", 225-pound, just thumper, um, coming in, you know, that I think will get significant time, really got a buzz um, going into the spring game. But along with him, Wesley Graves, uh 5'9, 225, red shirt freshman, he also got significant time in the running back position. And the great thing about that is they're all young. They are all young. So you're talking about, you know, again, I, I speak to offensive coordinator Chris Barnett uh and, and what he likes to do and which is the pound of rock. You have three solid running backs um that are coming in and doing their thing. But along with that, you're talking about some 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 people. Um, local product, Jaheim Pittman, uh, 6'3", 295, f- true freshman, um, that is coming in and, and really adding depth to a spot that probably is not as deep as a t would like him in the defensive tackle positions. Uh, you got a couple, um, that, that are there that have some experience, but I think you'll see Pittman with some, with some significant time. So just a few names, um. You know, you, you, you know, I already mentioned Karan Prunty, who's coming from Kansas. You know, got that time. You know, uh, when you're talking about, you know, the wide receiver position, Jamison Warren, you're talking about Zach Leslie, who's been there, seen it all, done it all. Um, yeah. But here's a name. Jakari Caldwell is another name. Um, you, you've just seen a great deal of size. You know, there are some small wide receivers here. You're talking about a, a core um, along with... Um, uh, Burkhalter, uh, 6'4, 195 pounders, and they go along with the mode of what's going on. Being, I, uh, you know, you had some breakaway, you know, breakaway, um, receivers, but along with that, uh, you have a lot of possession receivers. All A&T seeks to do is move the chains. If they break, you know, if they, you know, break along with great, but the offense is predicated upon. Moving the chains, staying ahead of the chains, being able to run the football, resting your defense, letting them, be able, letting them be able to go eat. And so they have some, you know, some players that they've been able to get that are transfers. In fact, uh, when you talk about Caldwell, I think he's coming in from South Carolina, South Carolina transferred and got some time there. So I think when you're looking at the way they've recruited and brought in, you know, use the transfer portal, I won't say they, they're, you know, Alabama A&M-esque but they have used their transfers to kind of, you know, set the set the um, success in motion uh, down in Greensboro.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I mean, listen, all those guys are great. And, you know, listen, a and T's deep to share some key positions too, man. I thought you mentioned that in depth is so important, especially offense and defensive linemen. Line, man, if you can't rotate your D linemen in today's age of college football, not winning anything. I'm just going to put that out there. You have to keep fresh bodies. And the last topic, man, before I wanted to let you go, I know you're a busy guy. Is it, it this is something I guess as, as an FCS guy, I've never really understood is just the backlash that A&T consistently gets just across man, fans, social media, like anything ANT does, it seems like there is somebody from another school like on top of it, you know, saying something about it. Why do you think A&T is a target of so much just? I, I would say, I don't know, just the, the target of everybody who's not a North Carolina a fan in terms of just the HBCU space.
1: Blue, we are arrogant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let, let me let me put it this way. I think every fan base is arrogant. They have pride in their squad. Uh, we're the largest HBCU, uh, public HBCU, you know, there is. And so we're almost at 14,000, you know, you know, students, we've been successful over the last 10 years, especially. I think with that, that Aggie pride that we speak of is, is boisterous and some people don't like that. And that's fine. Um, you know, I, I get it. Um, but I, I think the moves that we've made uh, as a school, I don't mind the questions. I don't even mind the criticism in in you know, and the the the, you know, analysis when it comes to what, what you're going to be. But I think a um, and has done the job of making sure that they make moves based on what is best for the institution. And I think some people are intimidated by that. And I think some people don't like that. And I get it. Um, again, I don't mind the criticism and the analysis but a t will always do what's best for A&T. Uh, also, we don't mind mixing it up with other folks as well when it comes to <laughs> we are still in HBCU. We are still, you know, just as aware of what goes on with other people um, as ever. And some people don't like the fact that uh, we've decided not to be a part of an HBCU conference and that for some, we're no longer allowed to comment on anyone else <laughs> when it comes to... Their football or their athletics in general, Uh, but we still will. We still will. And like I said, some people have, you know, more diplomatic approaches than others. Um, Because I'm an analyst, I will always, you know, cut it right down the middle. I try to let my fandom be where it is uh, when it comes to, I'll celebrate ball when it comes to my team, but when it comes to analyzing, uh, I analyze. I, you know, I try to keep it down the middle as much as possible. Uh, I was as critical as most when it comes to the conference moves and what are you doing? And, you know, the big South move, what are we doing? What's going on here? And, and then supported my squad afterwards. Uh, but, you know, when it all comes down to it, there are some people that feel like the moves that we made being a successful HBCU uh, didn't merit leaving uh, the, leaving the MEAC. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the powers that be didn't ex- anticipate what happened to the big South and then going to the CAA. But when you're talking about um, one of the most successful conferences um, in the FCS and being invited to it and your strategic plan kind of fits in with with what you want to do there, it's a no-brainer. So people may not like it. Like I said, again, I've been critical of it, but I understand it. And so I still support my institution, and it'll be what it is. I'm still going to have fun with the SWAC. I'm still gonna have fun with the SIAC. I'm still gonna have fun with the CIAA. We can all banter and 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 keep it, you know, keep it, you know, you know, fun and entertaining and clean. But when it comes to, um, when it comes to being critical of whether or not you're still an HBCU, that's where I kind of draw the line because that is a federal designation, and we are still. Um, as much a historically black college university as anyone else, regardless of what con- conference affiliation we are in. I mean, hey, I agree. That was
0: my biggest thing, man. Like that's that's something I guess as an outsider, I guess you would call me or you know whatever. I, I've never understood because when 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 people when people jumped on Jackson state for the FPS talk, everyone was like, Oh, you're a hater if you don't support it. But then AMT is like, listen, we got a different map. We got a different loading dock in this, in this game or whatever. We're going to go off this way. Everyone was like, you can't do that. You've got to, you got to follow this blueprint. I'm like, everyone's got their own path. And at, at the end of the day, everyone's trying to get FBS really and truly at the end of the day. And so never really understood the criticism for trying to take their own path per se. And, People can criticize the big South move all they want. In my opinion, when you look at where A&T ended up, man, like, I mean, you can't, I don't know if you can, like you said, hate the move necessarily. Like, yes, the listen, and this goes for everyone no AD in the country from Alabama to North Dakota State to Jackson State to A&T to FAMU to down to the D2 level thought that the COVID time would bring up, bring about so much conference free alignment and that we would see the ASUN and WAC snatch teams OVC and this conference merged. The Southland is dead and now it's back to eight teams and I, I don't think anyone foresaw that coming and especially the move by James Madison, Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State really kind of came out of nowhere and caught a lot of people off guard and we still have teams who are flirting with the next level and so I, I in my opinion, real hard to blame AT for that. But like you said, everyone's kind of got a different perception. And I mean, before we get out of here, put do you feel like AT is on the right path to make the ultimate move? Because I feel like you've been vocal, I've been vocal that the ultimate goal is FPS. Are they on the right path? And how you know, when do you foresee them really trying to make that jump to the next level?
1: I think when you're talking about budgets and talking about raising the kind of money you need to be competitive. I think that is still a five to 10 year move. Um, But I think with the changes coming up in um, what football is going to be, what college football is going to be in the next few years, I can't say for sure what it'll be because I think we, we're we're in such unknown territory right now when it comes to football, because, you know, I'm not sure exactly when it settles out. You kind of commented, you know, even, You know, talking about no one could have seen COVID coming and the arms race that it became. Um, I know you know Dr. Uh, Kenyatta Cavill and I got the term from him, the conference churning um, term, and it does happen ever so often. But I but at this rate and at this magnitude, I don't think you know no one has seen. So I'm not sure exactly where you're talking about as far as timetables, but I think that is eventually the goal. I think. Based on everything that's happening with the school, with the, um, with with, and, and I'm just talking about not just the athletic dynamic, but just everything that's going on. This school is 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 you know growing leaps and bounds. Um, they're getting the support from the state that they need. They're getting research dollars. It wouldn't surprise me, um, that they go FBS uh, one day, but I don't think they're in a hurry. I think they want to grow this thing organically. Um, and get into the right situation and so I think that they you know they definitely could along with the other you know with some other schools within the footprint of of the southeast and if that can happen if you can have a group be able to do that at one time you know the they're definitely one of the schools in consideration just based on who they are and where they're located but I think dominating FCS um, is that number one goal not even dominating just just navigating it and being successful at it um, I think is the number one goal but I, I don't see why they can't and you know we, we throw around the FBS label we don't know where FBS is going to be in, a, in, in yeah. a few years so we'll see
0: that's that's a hundred percent fact I know there's been some talk around Jacksonville State and Sam Houston that they're having some second thoughts about moving up right now because I mean I don't know about you I don't have much confidence in the CUSA in terms of overall standing if things kind of hit the fan with the power five leaving and you know i talked with sam herter about some of that but man, the the question marks are more than the than the knowns right now in terms of fc fbs and fcs realignment but guys man this is our North Carolina AT preview, man. Jamie, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. 40 minutes of just straight North Carolina AT talk. I'm sure it's going to be some SWAC fans that are going to have some thoughts, I'm assuming, on the show. But listen, man, where can people find you, all the work, all the great work you do? I see you got your Twitter bio right there, man. But where can they follow you throughout the season? And what do you have coming down the pipeline as kickoffs only 12 days away?
1: Wow, man. Hey, look, look, first of all, I love the swag fans. I love them. Listen, I enjoy the swag swack football, and I'm gonna be down there. Please understand, I'm gonna be all over Jackson, Jack. You know Jackson State. I'm gonna be all over A and M. Trust me, I, I I still enjoy it. But um, um, you can find me, of course, on Twitter, Sport Voice JW. Uh, I will be calling some games on ESPN Plus for the SIAC. So you will see me. Um, I think I have four games. Um, um, that I'll be either doing play by play or color. Um, along with that, I probably will be calling um, a few games on the Black College Sports Network. uh, So you'll see me on whatever app uh, we'll be on. So it's no telling as that that schedule is being solidified. But you'll you'll always see me on Twitter, man. I'll make a comment. I'll, I'll get in and get out and start a fire and leave. (laughs) <laughs>
0: listen one of the best follows on twitter for sure man my god jamie walker make sure to follow him on twitter all the social media platforms and stay tuned for all the great stuff i know he's got coming down the pipeline for the 2022 season but guys for jamie for myself and for the blue bloods we are out for right now